From Jerusalem, Israel, this is From the Midwest to the Middle East, the podcast that explores everything new in U.S. and Israeli economy. Here's your host, Philip Stein. I'm really pleased to be having this podcast today. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Philip Stein and Associates, the largest U.S. CPA firm in Israel. Providing U.S. tax services to Israelis, Americans, corporations, startups, and anyone else needing them. I'm very excited today to have a special guest, someone I've known for for quite a number of years, uh, David Ya'ari. Formerly, maybe some of the people listening to this knew him in in his former life as Borowicz. He is the founding director general of the Arizona-Israel Trade and Investment Office. David spent most of his career in finance and high-tech and is passionate about advancing community-related cause. He currently serves as chairman of the World Confederation of United Zionists of the World Zionist Organization, is a director on the boards of Karen Kayemet, which is also known as the Jewish National Fund, and the Israeli Society for International Development and Israel's Nature and Heritage Foundation. David and his wife, Sivan, who is founder of Innovation Africa, I probably could do my own, another podcast just with her, uh, which is a United Nations member NGO, moved to Israel in 2009. They reside in Tel Aviv with their three children. And uh, welcome, David. Hi, Philip. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, you know, we don't usually talk about Arizona on this podcast, but uh, it's uh, it sounds very interesting to me, and I, I really want to share what you've been doing with my listeners. So let me get to my uh, first question. Would you have been in, active in politics, finance, business, Israel advocacy, to name a few of the hats you've worn? How did all of that experience lead you to be the founding director general of the Arizona-Israel Trade and Investment Office? Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say thanks for, for having me on. And more importantly, I've been a fan of what you've been doing. And in a way, uh, it's very similar in, in many respects. What you've been doing is building bridges between uh, the United States and even beyond and Israel, maybe through taxes, but beyond taxes, it's about relationships and people. Thank you. And you've been creating those connections uh, for decades. And this is very similar. Uh, the, the viability and the future of our state in Israel is, is going to be very much dependent upon a term I call economic Zionism, which is almost the next wave of what's critical, which is ensuring that the state of Israel and our economy has the sustainability and the capacities and relationships with, with partners and allies and friends around the world. And that's how we're going to ensure that Israel's uh, economic viability and economic capacity is shared. And so that's why it's, it's really important to build these kind of relationships. If anything, the pandemic has shown us that you know when people can't get on a plane and they can't travel and they can't make their own relationships having these kind of almost ambassadors or or relationship builders between uh, entities and states is is critical but the idea is, is uh, the credit goes to the governor of Arizona who's uh, who really turned the state around many people i think hadn't heard of Arizona as a place to do business. They thought of Arizona just like people hadn't heard of Israel as a place to do business. They thought it was the, you know, the, the, the Holy Land and a great place of, of spiritual significance. But most people, if you had asked them in the 70s and 80s, wouldn't have said Israel is the place to do business. But this country turned around. The same thing happened in Arizona, thanks to Governor Ducey, which is, in a way, he refers to the state of Arizona as the startup state and Israel the startup nation. So the idea that there are two states who share an understanding of the importance of of innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, it's really a natural, uh, a natural relationship. So uh, he, he really wanted to set up this uh, trade office, and there's only one other country in the world 
where Arizona has a trade office, which is Mexico, which is its largest trading partner. And so the idea to build a, a bridge between the state of Arizona and the state of Israel uh, was his with the state with with the assistance, of course, of Sandra Watson, who's the CEO of the Arizona Commerce Authority, who's the leading economic development engine. And so there's been Arizona has has emerged as one of the tech centers. Um, and that's starting to hit the wires everywhere. And if you look at, if you do a quick Google, it's the fastest growing population in across America. Uh, Maricopa County in Arizona is the fastest growing county across America from both the population standpoint and also from an economic standpoint. And so people are recognizing whether they're coming in from California and fleeing the, uh, the heavy burden of regulations and taxes, um, or whether they're coming from other states for the opportunities, Arizona is really on a, on a growth spurt. Uh, and it's a juggernaut of an economic growth engine, and big companies around the world are getting that message. Intel just announced a $20 billion investment to build uh, expanded facilities in Arizona. Uh, TSMC from Taiwan, uh, the third largest semiconductor company, just announced a $12 billion investment to build in the state of Arizona. And there are a handful of sectors that are really strong and that the governor has put a priority uh, to build up. And so there's, we, we kind of had this conversation and dialogue about seeing the strategic importance and it's and you correctly said it's a perfect kind of synthesis of my of where I'm coming from in my background tying both business uh, Zionism and also um, relationship and government together and so that's a really a powerful combination when you can put those three uh, together to form relationships it's it's very interesting to me first of all that you know I, I myself and my work ha- hadn't been aware of this uh, and I have a lot of clients over the years in California who, as you referred to, are actually fleeing now. Uh, it almost seems like there seems to be a direct highway between California and Austin, Texas, because that's the you know they're sending me emails. I'm moving uh, to Texas. But what what makes Arizona unique and attractive for Israeli companies? So it's funny you said that. You know there is a direct highway, uh, and that direct highway from California to Austin leads actually drives right through Arizona. And 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 what's great about that is that that's the perfect place to stop because what happens is when people say I'm fleeing, they drive through and they get to Arizona, and they thought maybe Arizona was the Grand Canyon state and a beautiful vista. It is one of the most beautiful places uh, on earth, not just in America. It's magnificent from the forest to the to the to the desert to Sonora to wherever you want to go. There, there's magnificent vistas and and uh, and nature in there. But then when people get there, they say there's an incredible high quality of life. Uh, The cost of living is lower. You Mm -hmm. can afford a nice house. But most importantly, at the end of the day, people who come and go study in a school or go are looking for opportunity, they're looking, you have to be able to produce a a return for your family. You need to be able to have income. And so the, the, the growth of the economic growth in Arizona of the industry, and specifically within certain sectors, has made it very attractive. So all of a sudden, people who might have thought of other places where the opportunities are, uh, Arizona is now on the map. And, and so the, the, why it's attractive for Israeli companies, you know, it's, it's a couple reasons. Number one, the vibe and the culture in Arizona is very consistent with the vibe and the culture in Israel. I joke <laughs> that uh, Israel, might be, Israel might be the steam room because it's humid here, but Arizona is the sauna. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, we're, we're like essentially that. a spa. Mm-hmm. We're really the, the kind of the, the, the can-do approach the the um, roll up your sleeves and get things done. The lack of pretense, the ability to speak straight and get things uh, accomplished, it very much consistent. In fact, that is the governor of Arizona. He is a no-nonsense business oriented. He came from uh, the world of business. He had run a very successful company, sold his company, and decided to give back 
to society uh, uh, through public service, and that's the kind of that's the kind of culture he has put forward in Arizona. And so it's the same feeling inside the Arizona Commerce Authority, welcoming the fact that they're even opening this office is a signal to the Israeli companies and the Israeli economy that Arizona is open for opportunity, Arizona is open for business, and we want to create a welcome environment. The governor also looks to strip away regulatory hurdles. That's a critical challenge for Israeli companies that are looking to open up their businesses or challenge or push the envelope. If you look at Israel, Israeli economy and the startup economy, a lot of it is about disruption and changing things and changing the way things are done. And if you have regulatory hurdles that are coming up, like California imposes tremendous regulatory hurdles, if, if the state can actually help business instead of hinder business, then it creates a better, uh, more fluid environment to succeed. And so the governor made a policy that for every new legislation that somebody wants to propose, they have to remove three. And when I heard him tell me that, I said, wow, I wish we had you as the, as the prime right, minister of Right, right, absolutely. Uh, because that's, that's critical. So, so that's the second factor. The third factor, though, at the end of the day, is, is finding a match. Not every Israeli company should go to Arizona, but if you're focused in on a certain numbers of sectors, then Arizona is, should be, should be in, at least in your consideration, and I would argue um, should be at number one. If you're in an aerospace or defense company, there's no better place than Arizona. I'm going to be flying Arizona next week, uh, the second week of June, with a, an Israeli company called Aeronautics, which is bringing their headquarters from California to Arizona, to the Prescott Valley area. And it's a company that focuses on, on drones and aerospace. And aeronautics is a subdivision of Rafael, uh, 50% owned by Rafael's defense systems. And so... Um, that's a company that's decided to move their headquarters to Arizona. There are many, many other companies that have uh, done the same, um, including Israel's uh, Lemonade, which has uh, sure. opened up a very significant uh, center in Arizona. And so the word is starting to get out that Arizona is not only attractive uh, for business, but it's welcoming. We're actually extending our hands to, to create that platform. And so that's number one. If you're secondly, if you're in a sector in the mobility sector, this is Arizona's becoming the mobility capital of America. Uh, the governor set regulations in force to create the Institute for Automated Mobility. He then convinced Google to move their fleet and to do all the testing. So if you research where the testing has been done for automated cars, it's been done in Arizona in Phoenix. And so we're just now working with a company called No Traffic that is doing pilots across the state in different uh, municipalities in Phoenix, in Chandler, in Gilbert, uh, now in Tucson. And so there's a lot of activity and w- there's a willingness to try and, in- and engage and partner with Israeli companies, even if, at the, even if it's at the startup stage. If you're a company in advanced manufacturing and you want to build, then you can't get a better place because within a four-hour drive, you're reaching 85 million people uh, because of Arizona. If you're in California, to your left, all it is is the water. So it's hard to sell to the fish. But if you're in Arizona, you've right, got within right. four hours, you're reaching 85 million people. And so manufacturers understand that the supply chain, uh, which is a critical role in economic prosperity and, 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 and in and logistics, um, is an advantage. So whether you're in IoT or automated vehicles or aerospace, these are parts or semiconductors, you're, you're, that shift from California to Arizona is happening. And so companies that are in that ecosystem uh, want to participate in it. And then there's another natural area, which most people don't think, which is, which is agritech and water. Because Arizona is similar to Israel, and both suffered from, you know, the, the climates are similar, sure. and the challenges mm-hmm. are similar, both had to be innovative. And so there, I put together partnerships between uh, the, de- the Center for Desert Agriculture in Arizona with, with Israel, 
um, within Ramat HaNegev, and we've created these kind of partnerships with agritech companies here, and we want to encourage companies that look to sell and focus in, in that area to set up their operations in Arizona. You can easily reach from Arizona to, to California, to New Mexico, to Nevada, and we're right in the heart of that, in the hub, of course, as well to Mexico. And we have, and Arizona's set up, the Arizona Commerce Authority has three trade offices in Mexico, so these are all create. And the last thing which makes it, I think, attractive is there's the, it's the young population. Everyone thinks of Arizona of old. You know, in the 80s and 90s, it was a place to retire. Sure. You know, if you, were, if you lived in Chicago, you moved to Arizona the, to retire. If you the, lived in New York, you moved to Miami. Right. And today, both Miami and Arizona are experiencing almost a renaissance. There, it's young people who are moving in. And there's a tremendous dynamic energy in Arizona that people are not, that if you, only if you see it, you understand. Most people think that the number one university in America for innovation is like MIT or Stanford. If I asked you, you'd never guess that the number one ranked for five years in a row university across America in innovation is actually Arizona State University. Wow. Um, no, I only know that I know them. I only know them from the NCAA double, uh, basketball <laughs> tournament. Okay, yeah, yeah, they've got prowess in football and also right, in basketball, right. but now in innovation. And what's been amazing is the the turnaround, the turnaround that's happened. And you know, when people don't even realize, Arizona State University is almost like a city. There are 150,000 students wow. who study at the wow. Arizona State wow. University. Wow. Wow. When I tell people that in Israel. That's the combined student population of Haifa University, Hebrew University, Ben-Gurion University, Bar-Ilan University, and Tel Aviv University combined, just in one place. And that's the power. And what's happening is a lot of those students are engineering students, with over 25,000 students of them engineering students, and they're staying in the state. And so there's a replenishment and a, and a, and a nourishment of, the, of the, the, the ecosystem inside Arizona that's building it up. And so this is really a core, all of these factors combined, it's very similar to the journey that Israel went to. Um, when it created this juggernaut of startup nation, Arizona's had the same in parallel. Um, and so there's a lot in common. And beyond the fact that the governor is obviously a supporter of the state of Israel and came here, has come here both professionally leading a delegation and also coming personally with his family, you have a real uh, kindred friendship and, and close um, close relationship and desire to, uh, to, to move forward. And so that's why I'm, I'm happy to, to represent the great state of Arizona and also to work with uh, with leading Israeli companies to find their path in America and set up their operations, and also represent Arizona companies who want to sell uh, who want to sell to Israel. They're, the exports, you'd be shocked to know that over seven hundred forty million dollars are traded between the two countries, um, and 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 Israel, while it's only the eighteenth largest export market for Arizona, uh, the fact that they've set up a trade office here, the only only the second place to do that, shows that they're making an investment. So the three kind of areas that Arizona exports to are aerospace, of course. Um, as you know, Raytheon is based in Arizona, Honeywell, um, north of Grumman, so they've got offices there. Um, but also chemicals, semiconductors is a critical component and, and an area where Arizona is, uh, is taking dominant leadership. So, so this is really why I think Israeli companies need to not only look at Arizona, but I think it's a natural. Uh, no, great I, th- I think it sounds it's fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned leading a delegation. I, I think it's almost... And I'm gonna just want to throw Corona into this conversation. I think I bumped into you about two years ago when we were walking together in Sorona. You were part of you. You had introduced me to someone from the delegation from the state of Arizona. You know, hopefully Corona is in the rearview mirror, as I like to say, at least vis-a-vis Israel. How did how did you manage during the Corona between Israel and Arizona? I wish I had any real 
um, kernels of wisdom on this. I think I managed like pretty much like everybody else who survived uh, the period. I think, unfortunately, we a lot of businesses in, in Israel and around the world suffered uh, tremendously. But I think, you know, most people like Darwin teaches, we adapt, and we all adapted, and many of us moved to Zoom. For me, it was actually, there was a certain benefit, uh, in a way, of letting my colleagues who were used to sitting inside their offices and meeting and always sitting around together, all of a sudden we were all on Zoom. Instead of me being on Zoom and them all being in the office, the idea all of a sudden, and so I think in a way it was almost a great equalizer for those people who were satellite offices in many companies around the world. The, the, if there is a silver lining, and obviously it was terrible for the world, but if one silver lining is it, it in a way it did create greater cohesion. Um, because all of a sudden everyone, it was an equalizer, and mm-hmm. everybody was all on Zoom together, and not it wasn't you're on you're on a phone somewhere around the world, and so in that regard, I think we we all had to adapt, um, and we survived hours of screen time. I'm sure there are going to be long term effects to our eyesight, mm-hmm. uh, but but if, so that was one regard. But one thing that I can tell you is that business did not stop. The state of Arizona, while fighting the pandemic with one hand um, and trying to do the best it could, and the governor setting up everything that they could to mobilize all of the resources of the state to to protect the citizens and businesses, uh, at the same time, business continued. Um, You know, companies continue to meet, and and, and our role, in a way, became even more, I think, critical as being a bridge builder between companies here and companies there and a way to open up doors that, that couldn't happen in a natural way. All right, let me shift away from Arizona, although now, you know, I've always wanted to go to Arizona for spring training, but now I have other reasons after hearing this conversation. Uh, it seems like it's really a place to, to really be these days, uh, especially also with in my niche, you know, with taxes and Israeli and high tech, where I have a lot of clients who look, you know, where's the best place to set up their subsidiary. And it it sounds to me, Arizona should be on their list. Uh, You know, up until now, it's it's sort of been Boston, Silicon Valley, Austin, uh, but Arizona, I think should definitely be on their list. Um, So thank you for sharing all, all this information. So let me I ask you to put on one of your hats as a person who's a director of uh, Karen Kayemet, the JNF, and other other leading organizations. In Israel, what issues have you identified that need to be addressed within Israel that would encourage uh, our clients who want to have an impact in Israel? First of all, I mean any anybody who is connected with Israel and finds a pathway to help strengthen relationships between both sides is already doing good. Um, that's the first start. And so whether that's through, uh, through business um, or through uh, relationships or connections or trade missions or awareness missions um, on both sides, uh, I think that's already a great start. But if, if people want to deepen their engagement, um, then there are lots of different pathways. And I love one of my favorite things to do, even if it doesn't have anything to do with my personal uh, world, I'm happy to connect um, people into organizations that are their passions. At the end of the day, you can't, you know, it, it's nice to try to convince people of your areas, but at the end of the day, I want people to be uh, fulfilling their own paths and their destinies and, and their passions. And so connecting them to organizations that might be fulfilling them. So if a person is connected to Israel's nature, uh, I'd love to connect them to our nature uh, and parks authority, the Rashut Teva Vaganim in Hebrew, which is all of our national treasures and the people who want to adopt villages, uh, villages people who want to adopt, um, uh, how do you say, atarim, uh, sites, right, sites, parks. Mm-hmm. People want to adopt the parks. Um, 
whether it be Masada, which is part of that group, or whether it be Beit uh, Sharim, um, which is part of our history and our, our heritage and our archaeology, then I'm always happy to connect people to that. Um, people who want to connect to nature in Kakal and in, in JNF and Jewish National Fund, who want to um, be involved in forest reforestation or want to be involved in, in youth education and Zionism, I'm, I'm happy to connect people into that. And, and, and the list goes on. People who want to connect to Innovation Africa and find a passion in, in international development or whether it be Israel, uh, whatever those areas are passion. My personal area of focus, though, which I encourage, and I, you and I have talked about this as well, is, is in our youth. Um, you know, there's a famous expression by Janusz Korczak, for those who want to uh, deal with today, they plant trees. Those who want to help the future, they focus on education. Mm-hmm. And while I think it's important that we plant trees and I think it's important that we take care of nature, what's really important is that we plant the seeds and we nourish our, our, next, our next generation. Otherwise, otherwise we're going we're gonna to have to live with the consequences. And I, I've watched uh, a lot of defunding or lack of focus on the, on the capacity of informal education. And so as the chairman of the World Confederation of United Zionists, which really is trying to reconstitute the center of Zionist ideology and general Zionism, um, for me it's, it's critical to refocus on, on, on culture and reinfuse uh, the culture of general Zionism, but most importantly to focus on our youth. And we have just set up the first uh, ever, the youth uh, department within the World Zionist Organization, and my co-partner Sergio Edelstein uh, is the chair of that. And focusing on our partners, and it doesn't just mean our partners, youth movements can be in whatever flavor that you want, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you pick vanilla or chocolate or whether it's pistachio, but at the end of the day, that that ice cream that you're investing in is our next generation. And our partners are the Tzofim, Israel Scouts, and I'm thrilled to be partnered with them. And they're scouts both in Israel, and most people don't even know is that the Israel scouts have offices in America. And investing in Israel scouts so they can build those bridges between Israel and America through youth movements is critical. Uh, but whether it's not just the scouts, if it's Young Judea, and I'm hopefully going to be sending my kids this summer to America to camp in Young Judea, I encourage people to explore Young Judea. It's pluralistic, open, general Zionism. It doesn't try to force you into a narrow categorization. But if you're a person who feels connected to orthodoxy, or you feel connected to reform, or you're, or you're not even Jewish, but you believe that it's important, then there's so many outlets in, in our youth uh, that need investing. And so I encourage people to do that, and I would always take that call from you or anybody uh, to prepare our youth. And whether it's partners like Stand With Us, who, uh, who are doing great work to help our youth on campuses and youth in high school to become prepared, or whether it's our partners in the Israeli-American Council who are engaging Israelis across America, um, or even in South America. I don't know if your podcast reaches out to South America, but our partners in Argentina or in the former Soviet Union, in the Ukraine, in Russia, uh, where, where we need to engage our youth to feel connected to the state of Israel. Wherever they stay, that's, that to me is the best investment we can make. So in closing, I'm, I'm going to take it down just to, we're talking about Zionism and helping Israel. Uh, I want to take it down to a micro level. You, you made Aliyah immediately after the 2008 financial crisis. And, and up until your Aliyah, if any, you know, looking at your resume, you were very involved at the most senior level of Jewish and Zionist organization. What finally prompted you to join us here in Israel? <laughs> Well, I, I don't know if you've ever shared with your story with, with everybody, but I can tell you, um, <laughs> I, I'd love to hear what got, you know, it's, it's hard. It's basically hard to dislodge yourself from your natural environment. I grew up in America, and truthfully, I didn't, like a lot of people who made Aliyah, who came here because they were running away from something, I did not. Mm-hmm. I actually love America. I still love America. Um, and I'm proud to represent the state of Arizona, and I'm proud to be American, and I, 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 I love what America stands for in the world. 
So I didn't leave America. I actually came to Israel. It's a different way of mm-hmm. looking at it. Um, and for me, there's a calling uh, of what this, this state represents. The idea of a reconstitution of our people is, is one of the most profound things that's happened to the Jewish people in, in 2,000 years. And how could, I, how could I sit on the sidelines when this is happening? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't just want even a front row seat. I want to be, I want to be in the right. game. And okay. I think that there's an amazing story that's happening in Israel. And the truth was the best thing I did... The only thing that helped me get here was I made a promise when I was young. Um, I was 17, and I made a promise that by the age of 40, I was going to live in Israel no matter wow. what. And, and sure enough, when I was 39, 11 months and three weeks, <laughs> so one week before my 40th wow. birthday, my wife, Sivan, and I and the, and the twins at the time, uh, we boarded a plane and flew to Israel. That was it. I made a promise, and I kept my promise um, to myself and, frankly, to, to, to our people. And, and I, that's probably the only way to really do it, because otherwise, it, it, you know, life, there's a certain inertia. You know, we get caught in, our, in the routine. Right. And it's very difficult. Of course. It's very difficult. I encourage people to make Aliyah at earlier ages. I, I, I'll say this, I'll give advice. It's much harder to make Aliyah at 40, like I did, um, than to do it at 25. Uh, after college or after yeah, that's whatever. The, and that was my age. I, I came here at twenty five, so I, I, I it's true. It's a. You're, I've always said you're smarter <laughs> than I am, Bill. <laughs> but it's also interesting what you say about people in their routine. I, I was on a, a Zoom recently, and I chatted, did a side chat with someone who I know lives in in one of the uh, big Jewish communities in the United States. I said, "How how are you feeling? What's going on?" And and he just said. We're all very busy in our work, you know. No one's really lifting up their heads. So, you know, it's uh, big things are going on, and and Israel and the birth rebirth or the birth of Israel is a big thing. And you know, you're right. A lot of people just get into their routines and uh, certainly miss. You know, uh, but Philip, as, as as you and I are share, we share our Zionism. But at the end of the day, Zionism, the 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 redefinition of re or relevance of Zionism doesn't have to be a dislodging of your of your life in America or anywhere else in the world. I, I still think that there's a value. I, I'm never going to shy away from encouraging Aliyah. I, I'm proud of Aliyah. I think it's a great thing, and I want I want fellow Jews to come here, and I hope that they do. But just because you choose not to come here doesn't mean that you're a second-class Jew. It, it's quite the opposite. I agree, of course. It actually of means course. that you have a greater responsibility. Your reserve duty for the Jewish people means to be active. The one thing I, don't, I do have a problem with are people who decide not to come and then don't engage. Mm-hmm. And I would argue the same thing. If you decide to move here but you don't engage in Israel, then what good was right. that? So right. I just think we, need, we all need to be more active, because as you see, one thing we've all seen now, I just wrote an article in the Jerusalem Post about how we need to raise our voices, and the sane center needs to, needs to be more active and vocal, which is if, if we don't, then the power vacuum, the vacuum gets filled by the extremes, and the extremes are, are pulling the center, which is the majority of people, as you know, Pareto principle, right? 80-20, right. 80% right. of the people are centered in the middle. And, but what's happening is we're allowing the extremes to dictate the agenda, to dictate the terms, and they're doing it in America, and they're doing it in Israel, and in the Arab world as well, by the way. And our responsibility, people like you, people like, oh, basically, I would argue, without knowing all your listeners, I would be willing to bet that 90% of your listeners also fall in, maybe even 100% right. fall into the, to the same center. And yet what we do is we get caught up in our daily routine, and we're not, we're not prepared to make that, 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 that change or that, uh, that even commitment to do something. And whatever it is, if we don't do anything, then we're guilty. We're complicit in, uh, in allowing the extremes to take control. 
And then what kind of world are we leaving not only for ourselves to live in, but what kind of world are we going to leave for our kids? And so that's why I, you know, I welcome anybody who wants to engage both in economic Zionism and building up relationships between, on a business level between Arizona and Israel, or, or anybody who, or both, and who want to get involved in the United Zionism or want to get involved in anything, frankly, that's going to help our, uh, our people. Um, I'm always happy to take those calls and, and, and even just be a sounding board. So on that note, let's just uh, share with my listeners, one, if they want to know more about the Arizona-Israeli Trade and Investment Office, where, where, where do they go to find information out? So the best place is probably at the website, which is filled with tremendous information about including opportunities to do uh, collaborations or, or unmet challenges, which is for, for innovation challenges. So it's www.azcommerce.com. Okay azcommerce.com, or you can go to um, our Facebook and you can see out the Arizona-Israel Trade and Investment Office, or LinkedIn, which is even better for business, frankly, uh, the Arizona-Israel Trade and Investment Office, or the Arizona Commerce Authority, uh, our LinkedIn page, so that's number one. And of course, anyone is welcome to reach out to me. I'm pretty good at responding, especially on WhatsApp, but uh, my, my email is David Y D-A-V-I-D-Y, for Yari, and then at azcommerce.com. Well, David, thank you for a really uh, informative, uh, enlightening, and uh, exciting podcast. I think today was, uh, I think my listeners uh, had to have learned a lot, and I, and I thank you for sharing all that. Thank you, first of all, for reaching out, and uh, I look forward to doing great things Me together. Too. Thank you. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Feel free to visit us at www.pstein.com or look for Philip Stein & Associates on Facebook and LinkedIn. 